I went on retreat a week ago. Uh, to actually two weeks ago today, it ended last Sunday, and it was my first residential retreat since uh, the pandemic, and it was nice to be back with practicing um, with a bunch of folks, and I was up at the Insight Retreat Center in the Santa Cruz Mountains with Gil Fransdahl and Bruni Davila, um, and so I wanted, there were some really, really uh, sweet teachings that came out of that retreat and I wanted to share them with you because I think they um, they kind of support they they kind of go they're kind of aligned with where I've been going with my practice which is that that kindness that simplicity that gentleness that's so important um, as we move through the world it doesn't it's not necessary to be harsh and and critical. And um, so I wanted to share some of that, those teachings. And um, also, I don't know if um, how many of you have been on residential retreats, but at the end, the teachers often say, and I do when, I, when I'm on retreat, where I'm teaching and I'm offering um, uh, closing thoughts, that it's said that however long your retreat is, the post-retreat lasts about that same amount of time. So if you're on retreat for seven days, there's a post-retreat uh, integration that lasts. It almost feels like you're still on retreat. Obviously, you're not. You're back in the world. You're doing, you're doing your daily things. But there's this lingering, um, there's this residue or residual experience that that lingers. And so I'm just at the tail end of that today. Um, and it's been an interesting week. Uh, and I'll talk about that as well. And um, so what the theme of this retreat was the seven factors of awakening, which are a standard teaching. They're part of the, the uh, Four Noble Truths. The, they're, um, no, excuse me, they're part of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. They're the part of the Fourth Foundation where we're aware of the hindrances and the seven factors of awakening. And they are, the seven factors are mindfulness, uh, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, collectedness of mind, samadhi, often often translated as concentration, and equanimity. But Gil, instead of calling them the seven factors of compassion, I mean, excuse me, seven factors of awakening, he called them the seven factors of compassion. And not that they were any different, but he, he uh, created this container of compassion and kindness and, and loving kindness, uh, friendliness for how we move through the world. And awakening is not just into wisdom and clarity, but it's also into compassion. And so I think that's part of the reason why he did this. And I really like that because you... Um, it's often said that there are two wings to awakening. There is the wisdom and there is the compassion. And both of them are natural outgrowths of this insight practice because when you sit and practice, ultimately you will develop this clarity to see the way things really are, to you know, disengage from this conditioning, these old thoughts that we've carried with us for so long about 
this person and that person and self-view and and who's right and who's wrong and what should happen and what shouldn't happen, all those shoulds and musts and have-tos and, and things that we've been saddled with both from our families, from society, from, from the world at large, from our own internal um, reactivity. So it's to, we begin to disengage from that reactivity and so there's a clarity to see the way things really are. Oh, this is, this is discomfort. This is craving. And, and there's this um, ability to respond rather than to react to the world. And then the other outcome of our practice is this compassion, this recognition that we are all experiencing the human condition and that we are all in this together. And so there's this empathy and compassion that develops for others and for ourselves as a part of this practice. The thing about this compassion, and not just compassion, but the four beautiful qualities, the four heart practices, metta, loving kindness, friendliness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity, is that because we have been so um, conditioned by society telling us what's mostly what's wrong with us, um, by our families, by society, you know, if you only bought these products, then you'd be better. Or, you know, you're trying hard, but it's not actually quite enough. There's always that sense of just not enough, and that is really wearing, and we internalize that stuff. So this invitation to compassion, um, an intentional practice around kindness and compassion is really necessary, which I think is really sweet, um, that guilt called the seven factors of compassion so this shifting of how we see the world is really beneficial is really helpful and I'm looking forward to listening to a couple of the talks to to really get another another take on what he said and for those of you who don't know audiodharma.org is a website that I I am insight meditation center has been posting talks and meditations on for years I mean at least 15 years and um, they post they continue to post talks and and meditations and classes and pdfs and things so I invite you to check out audiodharma.org it's really a, a, a beneficial website so um, that's why I, that's where I'll go to listen to the talks from this retreat and so a couple of the things I want to share around this idea of, of awakening into compassion is this invitation to um, greet each moment with kindness, with compassion. And it seems like, yeah, that's what we do, that's what the invitation is in practice, but to have that instruction can really shift how you move through the world. Um, Greet each moment with compassion. And so even just doing a walking meditation on the retreat, it's like I would be caught up in something and, and then I go, oh, wait, I take this step kindly. I look around, kindness with compassion. It's, and, um, it's really a different shift. It's a, an intentional greeting of the present moment without judgment without reactivity and I and I find it to be really helpful 
um, one of my things, every, if you've been on a retreat, a residential retreat, you probably know that every person has a, a work meditation, a job they get to do to help the retreat run smoothly. And mine was laundry. I got to do loads of laundry every morning, washing all the, the rags from the kitchen. And then the last day I got to do sheets and towels and rags and towels and sheets and rags. And that can get really tiresome. But I had this remembrance of, oh, yeah, can, how can I greet this? You know, that's equanimity. Greeting each moment with a wise response with an appropriate response. I could get all pissy. It's like, meh, meh, meh. Or just go, okay, right now it's like this. Do I have to be pissy about it? Do I have to complain about it? Or is that a choice because it's uncomfortable or I'm tired of it? And so we, are, we recognize that we have that ability to shift how we greet things. We don't have to react. Reactivity is this autopilot based on our conditioning. But when we pause and say, oh, wait, I am going to greet the moment this way, there's a real shift. Thich Nhat Hanh, in his meditation instructions, he would remind people to smile. During meditation, he'd say smile. And that's a whole different experience, too, when you smile. There's a shift that happens. And so greet each moment when you're walking, when you're sitting. And then, and then Gil added to that, when the mind wanders and you notice it's wandering, just say the word here to come back. Not that simplicity here. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was on the retreat, and he said that points back to Gil's Zen. He, he spent a number of years in a Zen monastery, and that's that the real basic here. Here. That's where we are, here. How do we greet this moment? with wisdom, with compassion, with kindness, with the appropriate response. That's the invitation of the practice. And then he gave another talk on um, energy, which is another of the factors. Um, and I really like this because I found it really helpful, and I still find it really helpful. He's, he talked about two types of energy. There's the energy that is reactive that I was just talking about that's activated where something happens and we autopilot responds. And that's often driven by greed or craving, um, ill will or aversion or delusion or ignorance. We just kind of, ooh, that's unpleasant. How do I make it stop? Ooh, that you're being annoying. How do I make you stop? Whatever it is, or that's tasty, I want more, I want more, I want more. How do I get more? How do I make it bigger? How do I make it less? Or just walking through with this delusion because we're not paying attention. We're just lost. And um, I've been known to drive past my freeway off-ramp because I have no idea where I am because I'm somewhere, I'm having a conversation with someone who's probably not even in the country, but I am with them in my head. And so coming back, so there's that... Um, reactive energy that when you pay attention to it, you notice it's kind of, it lands in the head and it's agitating and it's not necessarily skillful or wise or wholesome. And so it takes us um, down a path that we may not want to go in because it's not necessarily wise or skillful. It's reactive. 
It's based on this old story that we've told ourselves or this old conditioning. Instead, the other type of energy that's available to us is this deeper, is this more embodied sense of knowing, this wisdom that comes from this practice and this clearing away of the, the dust in our eyes that allows us to see, oh, this is what's happening. This is the appropriate response. It's not reactive. It has an awareness of the big picture because we're in the moment. We're paying attention. We're not worried about if this happens now, what will happen then? We're like, what's the next indicated thing? What's the next step to do? How do I respond to this? Maybe no response is, is the appropriate response. And that is generally comes from, a, 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 it's a more wholesome, beneficial, skillful response. You know, And this doesn't come with our first day of practice. This comes with continued practice. This comes with a clearing away of delusion. I couldn't, when I first started practice, I wasn't going to trust my gut because my gut was chasing all kinds of delusions, all kinds of things I thought should be. If I were, if I got that, then I would, then I would be okay. If I were better at this, then I would be okay. If you only did that, then it would be okay. You know, that if then should thing. That's what my gut was telling me when I was caught in this, this, this cobweb of conditioning. But when, I, when we disentangle from that, then there's a clarity that arises. And so it's really helpful when you get caught up in something to maybe follow it back. When you're in this place of what's going on, how am I responding? Am I reacting or am I responding? And I found it very helpful when I was like lost in future, lost in planning to go, how did I get here? And to track it back to some, some sensation, maybe a thought, a memory that triggered something and I was just off to the races and I'm like, oh, that was driven by some fear. I'm not going to be able to do all that. I'm going to be overwhelmed. It's too much. Uh, and then I get into this constricted place. My body tightens up and my head is just tense. And when I can recognize that, then you have the ability to let go. Make some more space and say, What's, what may be a more appropriate re response? How do I turn towards this instead with a, with a skillful, beneficial way to react or to respond yeah. and then Bruni gave a talk and she talked about um, investigation which is another one of the factors and I really like this you know when oftentimes when we say in teaching investigate something like the factor of a, one of the factors of awakening or factors of compassion is investigation and often people think that means Sit down and figure it out. Find the answer. What's going on here? Dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. When actually it can simply mean a discernment of whether something is skillful or not. It harkens back to what I was just talking about, about with effort. Is this wise? Is it, or is this something that's driven by greed or aversion or ill will or delusion? Am I chasing a story, which is generally not helpful, or am I um, recognizing that 
or going in a direction that's wise. And, and Bhikkhu Inalio, um, I did a retreat with him last year and he talked about this, the factors of awakening. He said, basically what we're doing is noticing whether hindrances are present or not. Hindrances are what get in the way of our awakening and the hindrances are just as we've been talking about craving, greed, ill will, aversion, delusion, doubt, restlessness, dullness. That's the stuff that gets in the way. So this investigation is this, what is this? This very simple, what is this? This letting go of preconceived ideas of what should be, what's supposed to be, and instead say, what is this? And is this taking me towards suffering or away from suffering? Is this wise or is it not wise? So that's really I, 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 um, some, some really helpful things that I heard. Um, and held with kindness, held with compassion. We're walking in a way that's wise, but also heartfelt, compassionate, kind, in a, in a mind, in a heart mind imbued with these four beautiful qualities. Buddha taught that multiple times. There's many suttas where it talks about the heart and the mind being, being imbued with kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. And there's one last thing that Gil said that I want to share because I thought it was really um, beautiful and it really supports how I move through the world. And he talked about a sutta where after the Buddha's enlightenment, he um, had some people come and, and study with him and he had his first students, um, disciples, monks, and they there were about 60 of them and they all, of course, became enlightened because just about everybody the Buddha taught became enlightened. So these first 60 arahants um, uh, were with him and he said, okay, y'all got this now. Now go forth and care for the well-being of others and the world. Go out and care for the well-being of the world and for others, and for yourselves, because I always have to remind us to keep ourselves in this circle of all beings, of everyone, of the world. It's so easy to say, I'll care for you, but I'm out here. Um, I'm in somebody else's mosaic. Um, somebody else's square on Zoom, not included, but we're all included in this idea of all beings and the world. So the Buddha said, go and care for other beings. And I really like that because it fits in with that precept of non-harming, of not intentionally taking a life, but also cultivating care, cultivating compassion. It's, it goes along with wise intention to move through the world with with friendliness, with with compassion, with care. This the Buddha has said this over and over and over again. And so and we need to develop this compassion so that we can greet the world with that heart that has those four qualities imbued in it. So that was some of the that was some of the beautiful gems I heard and that really landed with me on retreat. And then I drove home. And then I heard the news about the mass shootings at the Lunar New Year's. 
uh, events in, in down here in Monterey Park and then up in Half Moon Bay. And then I heard about the murder of Tyree Nichols. And then I heard about a dear friend of mine who was just given six months to live. And I said, okay, how do we hold this? And even as I say that, I'm feeling that, those, those things. Because I just, I did, I, with my girlfriend who I just had, right before class, I, I spent about an hour on the phone with her um, just talking. And um, when you're off, if you've been on retreat, when you come off retreat, you're really sensitive. You're really sensitive. And you have to be aware of that sensitivity. And in caring for the world, you have to care for yourself. So what I did was I was, I treated myself with compassion. How do I greet this? How do I hold this? Not run from it, but say, you know what? I'm not going to dive in. I'm going to experience the news, feel it in my body, because that's what we're asked to do, to receive things, but not dive in and go after all the details. What happened? Read and get online and, and watch this and read that. It's just like there's an awareness here, and I'm going to take care of myself, which is what we have to do. We have to... That, I feel, is a response that was skillful and was moving in a wise direction and a compassionate direction for me at that moment in time. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that in his fifth mindfulness training, which is an expansion of the fifth precept of not to take ingest anything that leads to heedlessness. He expands that and he says we have to watch what we ingest what we read what we listen to as long as well as what we in, ingest um, food and drink we have to guard the sense doors and take care of ourselves and so that's what um, I did and then I sat with that and and I recognized one more time that these teachings have made it possible for me to hold the world as it is, full of insanity, of greed, and hatred, and ignorance, and violence, and um, so much destruction everywhere, and recognition that there's also joy. It's about being fully present with what is without needing it to be different right now. I mean, they're, hearing the news, all these things, there's, the, there's, the, there's the, the shock, the despair, the sadness, the grief, all of those things, and being willing to hold them greeting those emotions with compassion greeting those really difficult moments with kindness just as greeting laundry or an unpleasant chore with kindness we greet the difficulties with kindness we're willing to be intimate with every experience and do it as, as is best for us, you know? 
compassion for the moment, compassion for the world and compassion for the moment. And then I was also overjoyed to see my husband and the cats. And so there was joy in those moments as well. Greeting the joy with kind, with joy. We can, we can move and we can hold both. There's that equanimity. There's, there's 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. How do we greet this moment? With this clarity, this wisdom that comes from our practice, with this kindness, compassion that comes from our practice. So that's what the invitation of this practice is, to greet the world as it is. But we also don't just necessarily say, you know, it's not a, oh, well, that's the way it is. I can't do anything. It's an invitation to acknowledge the reality of the moment, but also if, if uh, you feel so inclined to work towards end suffering. I have found that's what I say this practice helps me to hold all of this because just as um, Gil talked about that one sutta, the Buddha said, go out and care for the well-being of others and the, and the well-being of the world. And I believe the, the first precept says, don't just, you know, it's not just not killing. It's not just not causing harm. But can you work to end suffering? Can you work to end greed, end hatred, and, and delusion where it's found? Work to end ignorance. Because that's what causes so much harm in this world. And do it with wisdom and clarity rather than reactivity. Because reactivity, you just get a ending, you know, creating an other out of them instead of recognizing that, you know, we're all human beings, some of whom are much more deluded, get caught up in their, in their, in their beliefs that drive them to, um, driven by fear, driven by whatever they're driven by to cause harm. When I was most in my um, fear, that's when I caused the most harm. I, didn't, I wasn't aware that I was driven by fear, but in hindsight and in recollection, it's like, oh, so afraid of not getting something I thought I needed to have or losing something I was so desperate to hold on to. Because if I didn't have it, who would I be? If I didn't get that, then, I wouldn't, then it would be awful. Even though that was just made-up stories, but being willing to let go of those ideas, those, those ideas of shoulds and coulds and woulds, those fabrications of the mind, as the Buddha talks about, those things we think we need, those messages we've received, and instead just say, this, 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 this caring for the world, caring for myself, caring for others, not causing harm, working to end it, how do I move in that direction? And for me, I find it, it's this practice. It's this practice, this, this whole body practice, not just the mind, but being with the experience that's in the, the gut, as, as Gil said, that, that wise response that comes forth rather than the, the reactivity um, that is not really skillful, not really wise. So... Those, my friends, are some of my thoughts on greeting the world with compassion, 
um, holding everything um, and how to move through hopefully with with kindness, even in the midst of the worst um, discomfort, not shutting down the heart, not walling ourselves off from the human condition, from being human ourselves. When we wall ourselves off from being, from feeling, we're trying to dissociate from the human experience. And that's obviously impossible and has not good results because all that stuff just gets stuffed down and comes out in inappropriate times and places and uh, can cause more harm. So if you are... Uh, uh, dedicated to not causing harm, I invite you to greet each moment with kindness, with compassion, regardless. Be intimate with this moment um, without preference. So again, thank you so much, my friends, for being here. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.